Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the show, we've got Brian McCulloch. Brian's a coach, a father, a husband, 2018 BWR champion, and current Marathon Mountain Bike Nationals champion in the Masters 35 to 39 category. For the purposes of this conversation, I wanted to have Brian on the show because I've wanted to do a show about getting stoked for game day. Your training's behind you, but how do you approach the actual day of a big gravel event? I couldn't think of anybody better to talk to than Brian. I got to interact with Brian out at the Envy Grodio in Utah this year, and I've not met someone with so much enthusiasm and knowledge and passion for the sport of cycling than Brian. Hopefully you'll walk away with this episode with some great tips on what kind of mentality you need to be successful in endurance gravel racing. Before we get started this week, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition really, really simple. I don't know about you, but I find this time of year to be a bit challenging on my body. It's a stressor. It changes my routine, and I find that kind of bringing together an effective nutritional strategy is a bit of a challenge. In fact, I've got Halloween candy laying around. We've got Thanksgiving coming up and the other holidays coming. I'm getting less sleep. I've got more work stress for the end of the year, and I'm simply not eating the right foods. I find myself deficient in key nutritional areas, and the important thing is I've recognized this. So for the past four or five years, I've been taking Athletic Greens, now known as AG1 by Athletic Greens. It's a category-leading superfood product that brings comprehensive, convenient daily nutrition to everybody. Keeping up with the research and knowing what to do and taking a bunch of pills and capsules is hard on the stomach and hard to keep up with. To help keep each of us at our best, they simplify the path to better nutrition by giving you the one thing with all the best things. One tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral probiotic, green food super blend, and more in one convenient daily serving. The special blend of high-quality bioavailable ingredients in one scoop of AG1 work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, support energy and focus, aid with gut health and digestion, and support a healthy immune system, effectively replacing multiple pills or product in one healthy, delicious drink. So that's a little bit about our sponsor, Athletic Greens. As you know, as a longtime listener, I've been a big fan of Athletic Greens for many years. I encourage you to check it out and see if it's for you. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, nasty chemicals, or anything else, all while tasting good. My, my personal process is simply putting athletic greens over copious amount of ice each morning, shaking it up, and drinking it down first thing. I've heard other people blend it into smoothies, so there's lots of different ways to take athletic greens. If you're interested in checking it out further, please visit athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride. Athletic Greens is going to give you a year supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs for your first time purchase for Gravel Ride podcast listeners. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash the gravel ride to support both the podcast and your nutritional health. With that important business behind us, let's dive right into this week's interview. Brian, welcome to the show. 
Oh, thank you, Craig. I'm really excited to be here. So, uh, man, here we go. Yeah, let's do this. I was thinking for a while that I really wanted to do a show that got people pumped for the moment they get to the start line. We've talked a lot on other episodes about nutrition and the idea of coaching, but there's something to be said for just getting the right mindset, getting everything in your rearview mirror and being ready to do a big event whether you're going for the win or just trying to finish and have fun, it's important to have the right mental mindset. And I couldn't think of someone better to come on and talk about that than you. Oh, thank you, Craig. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. It's such, I think it's such an overlooked topic. When we talk about obviously as a cycling coach, but also as an athlete, it's so easy to just look at all of the preparation and we look at all the time, money and effort, the blood, sweat and tears that we put in to preparation but then we often forget or neglect that race day is everything. And it's not, it doesn't have to be a race. If you're not at the front of these gravel races, that doesn't mean it's anything different. It's your tour de France. And this is what my wife and I, we have a coaching business, Big World Coaching. And we always look at it like, hey, what is your tour de France? It can be the WANA ride at BWR Kansas, or it can be gravel worlds. It can be anything in between. Okay. So you don't have to be riding a long race or be at the front of it for you to actually spend some time, plan out your pacing, think about your nutrition, go over the course, look at all those things. I know we're going to get into so much of that, but having your best race day performance is not always about what's the motor you brought to the start line. It's what about the chassis? What about the mindset? All of these other things. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. With you. Yeah, also true. And I, I, I always like to set the stage for the listener and just learn a little bit about your journey. Obviously, like the notion of riding a gravel bike is something relatively new in the world of cycling. But how, what's your journey as a cyclist? How did you come to be where you are today? Oh, that's a great question. I, I should tell everyone that I used to race motorcycles on motocross and supercross professionally. And so that was, I didn't know it at the time, but that was going to be like going to the dirt on gravel and even now mountain biking a little bit more is going to be like, to me, it feels like coming home. But yeah, when I was basically, when I was 12 years old, I got a dirt bike and was like, oh my God, I want to be a professional. And then I just poured myself into that. And uh, long story short was my father was a big influencer there. And he was like, Hey man, as long as you get good grades, we'll take care of it. Like you're good to go. And uh, anyway, somewhere along the way, I ended up stepping away from that and thinking I had this void in my life where I, uh, I didn't have any athletics in my life. It was about a year that I, I got out of motorcycle racing and I thought, oh, I'm washed up. Like I was never, I never achieved my goals really, et cetera, et cetera. And then someone reminded me that we used to train on road bikes and mountain bikes for, for motorcycle racing. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll check that out. And I went on a group ride with some friends in, in, in the area that I'm from or where I live now in the Redlands area here in Southern California, there was this really robust community of cyclists and they went on this, they still do, they go on this Saturday group ride, it's called Rain Cross. And they've been doing it for 30 years on the same route. You know what I mean? So there's like all this heritage and I just became totally enthralled and met some really good people. All of them were 35 to 40 when I was 25 and I was totally hooked. So got into that, started racing almost right away, and then was like, wow, it's like riding a bicycle is great because it's work in equals results out. So I just poured myself into it like I did when I was trying to be a professional motorcycle racer, ended up getting my category one road upgrade, got a call from Paul Abrahams, who was starting this team that would later develop into Elevate Webbyplex Pro Cycling. 
And uh, I was the first person that signed for him. So I did 11 years racing pro on the road, which I'm really humbled to. That's one of the longest careers in American cycling, uh, which is pretty cool. There's definitely some people like Mike Friedman and Brad Huff and other people who've had really long careers as well. Those are good company. If anyone knows those guys, they're they're pretty legendary. I'm by no means on their, their level. But anyway, in 2018, actually in 2017, funny story, how I came to gravel was... I did, we were supposed to go to the tour of the Gila that year. And that coincided with 2017 Belgian waffle ride. And I didn't make selection for that team. And, and at the time, Paul Abrahams, my, my team director was like, Hey bro, don't take it personal. We just have more, we don't have a GC guy this year. So we don't need a domestique. Cause I was a domestique on the team. And that's a really hard race for climbing. And I'm not a very good climber. So my team manager was like, don't take it personal, dude. Like, we're not going to take you to Gila because we don't have a GC guy. We're just going for stage wins. So we don't really need you right now. Like, we're going to take our time trials. And I was like, I was so bummed, Craig. Yeah. I was so bummed. Because, like, that's one of those events. If you're a road guy and you say, oh, yeah, I've done, you know, this many tours of Gila. Everyone's, dude, you're gnarly. And so I didn't get to go. And I, I'll be honest, I had a chip on my shoulder because I was like, oh, I'll show you. I'll show you, and, I, and I'd be willing to bet your listeners have a bit of that in them too. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, somebody said you can't climb that hill. Well, I'll show you. And so I literally that week like reached out to the guys from Belgian Waffle Ride who run it, and they were like, please come. And I ended up going down there. I ended up crashing and breaking my hand. But I finished the race, and I ended up winning the KOM jersey that year um, at Belgian Waffle Ride. And I just I like fell in love with it, man, because it was old school dirt bike grit, like in dirt bike riding. You have to, you're the dude that finishes like no one, no one in my, once you're out on course, it's just you, right? There's no mechanic. There's no, none of this stuff. And so you have to have the grit and the determination to finish. And so when I crashed and broke my hand, I was like, I'm at 80 miles. What am I going to do? Call my wife. She doesn't care. She's you got out there. I'm you get back. And so I'm, you know, I'm a proud man. So I'm like, I'll finish. And I finished and kept passing people. And I think I got like top 10 that year. Anyway, but uh, that brought me, that made me fall in love with BWR and being able to have breakfast with everybody, go do this incredibly crazy ride, and then get into, go after and share all the experiences afterwards. So anyway, I came back in 2018 and I told the team, I'm not going to Gila, I'm going to BWR. And uh, anyway, I went to BWR in 2018 in San Diego and I ended up winning it, beating Ted King in a sprint. And uh, that's a pretty cool story, how that all came together. But then uh, that got me. We don't have that much gravel and dedicated gravel in California. It's not like the Midwest and, and back East, which just has such a crazy, robust swath of events that are so cool. So we go, you know, to do it, we have to travel a bit, but it's such a big part of my program right now. And I'm so thankful for it. It's such a great group of people. So yeah. I hope that's a long story, but that's kind of how I got into gravel. And I'm like, I want to be in it all the time now. Yeah. As, as you were telling that story and talking about your accomplishment of achieving an 11 year professional cycling career, I was thinking to myself, Brian, you haven't exactly hung up your cleats just yet. Have you? No, not at all. And somewhere along there, you're, the, the Gravel Ride podcast listeners, I'm sure you all know of Neil Shirley. Neil Shirley is absolutely legendary. Like I joke him because he's a good buddy of mine, but I, we call him the Gravel Prophet, right? Like he, he so you got to think of set the stage, so a little bit of history because history is important to me. Basically what happened was at the time, he and I went on a bike ride one day and he was like, hey, I got some news. I'm going to quit racing pro. And I was like, oh my God, that's super exciting. But I'm like, how are you feeling? Anyway, he was like, yeah, I'm going to work for Road Bike Action Magazine. So he goes to Road Bike Action Magazine as this event, as gravel is becoming 
a thing. Like at that time, there were no gravel bikes. There were road bikes or it was just a weird kind of time, right? Especially on the West Coast. East Coast had some more and Midwest had some more Frankenbike things going. Long story short is he goes there to road bike action and he just is like on the nose cone of this rocket and starts riding it up. He goes to Belgian Waffle Ride. I think he's won it three times. I can't remember. Um, But anyway, he's a dear friend of mine. He was in my wedding. And so he was like, hey, dumb, I should back up he was my coach for 10 years as well. So all the time when I was racing road, he was my coach. And he was like, dude, you have to come to a gravel ride. And so he had this, his own event called Pedal Palooza one year. And I went there on this rickety old something or other with like ghetto tubeless with duct tape rim strip and not even tubeless tires that I somehow got to, to seat. And you know, I got obliterated, but had a blast. But anyway, so the, the, the point is like this whole thing is so new. And so to come to it, and have all of this just incredible history behind it and then be able to then see like people that have this great history or like foundation of it, like Neil, and, and then have their support and like to be now here now where it looks like where there's like, you could do a gravel ride every weekend and they're just like some of the most epic adventures you could have on a bicycle. It's pretty incredible, man. So it was, uh, oh, I, the reason I brought this up was because he told me I should at some point be a coach and I thought he was crazy. And here we are now. I've worked for my wife, who's our head coach, and we're coaching. Like, we have a very successful coaching business. I'm very thankful for the athletes that we get to, to support along the way. So, it's, yeah, it's our world, man. We're just, we're pretty deep in it. Yeah, I love hearing about that journey and excited to get into sort of some of the things we opened up with around how do you approach what I call game day when you show up on that start line. And with gravel, as you've just been describing in your journey, like so many of these events have such a different profile. And a lot of times for these athletes, myself included, it may be the first time we're visiting an area and we're doing a hundred mile event. Let's talk through in that scenario where you're going somewhere you haven't been before. What are the things you can do from a research perspective? Set aside the specific training advice for a second. But what would some of the research and prep you can do if you're going to do an unbound for the first time or an SBT gravel? Oh, that's a great question, buddy. I, I think that research and preparation, excuse me, I think research and preparation is like so key to what we do. And it's just, it's the absolute game changer. Cause once you're on game day, once you're on the starting line, there's nothing else but just grit determination and good nutrition and hydration. that's going to get you through the day. Right. Like you got what you got. But leading up to that, our destiny is in our hands. OK. And save for the, the specific training and, and looking all that. But I think YouTube is a wonderful resource. And so is Strava. And I know a lot of your listeners, a lot of our listeners, they are always like, hey, they're, they're researching and delving into Strava. So if you're going to do something like SBT, you can look at the people that are doing well, what that course looks like, where are the hills, where are the aid stations, where are you going to stop, all these other things that are really important. Because here's, I'll give you an example, Craig. If you were to go to an event that said had 7,000 feet of climbing and it was 100 miles, that sounds like a pretty hard ride. But what if that 7,000 feet is in the first half of the bike race? Right. So think about something like Crusher, like you have an hour and a half climb. That's it. Like you just go uphill and you don't stop. Like you just keep going up. That's a very different look, especially if you're from the Midwest and you're training for something like that. That's a very different way to get 7000 feet than if you were to say go to Unbound. Right. At Unbound, it's death by a thousand knife cuts right? Or pinpricks. But what you don't realize is each of those little things has a 14% kick at the top. So you're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's only a three minute climb. 
well, you go try and sprint 300 times up a 200 mile. Oh, I'm only going to do the hundred at unbound. Doesn't matter. You're going to go up a hundred little three minute climbs, try and go sprint for a hundred times for three minutes. It's very, turns out it's very difficult. Yeah. So I think it's really important to recognize what I call the critical factors or the critical elements of the critical moments of an event. Okay. So what are those critical moments? Like, Oh, okay. I've got an hour and a half climb. There you go. Or, Hey, I have a hundred of these really challenging areas or, Oh, Hey, there's this single track section. Say you're going to go to BWR or Cedar city, right? That final four mile single track called the tollway is uber brutal. And you have to build a bike around that final four miles much more than you have to build a bike for the first 120. You see what I'm saying? Totally different because those rocks are super sharp. They're super brutal. So you could be lulled into the idea that, hey, wait a second, my race performance is best done on a semi road bike with some fat. And then you get to that section and then you're walking four miles. You want to not have fun on the day, walk four miles. That's no fun. (laughs) So that's what I would say is um, really helpful is do your research. Look at Strava look at YouTube, watch videos of things. And that's why I did before Belgian waffle ride, I did a race series. We called it slaying the sector. So if any of your athletes or listeners want to check it out, we did a slay the sector series on basically some of the most difficult and challenging um, pieces of Belgian waffle ride San Diego. And my hope was that people would watch it and go, Hey, that section, I got it. That section. Okay. Wait, that's a little outside of my wheelhouse. So they know, okay. At mile 67, this thing's a little outside my wheelhouse, slow down, get through it, and then press on after that. So I I think a lot of that stuff, it can be super, super helpful. We have a lot of great resources that we just didn't have 10 years ago. Yeah, that was a great series. I think at the basic level, when you sign up for an event, you start, you look at the course profile and start to understand, is this similar to what I ride at home? Can I simulate some of these efforts? Can I find an hour and a half climb like Crusher and Natasha? Certainly many people can't, but understanding how you can simulate it to the best of your possibilities in your home territory is critical. And then, as you said, that next level of, hey, if there is course beta out there, it's amazing to just get eyeballs on it to say, oh, crap, I've never ridden through rocks like that. I really need to at least be mentally prepared for it if I can't physically prepare for it in my local terrain. Oh, absolutely. And, and even with a trainer now, you can do so much. Okay. And, and by the way, I'm not a massive fan of doing all your workouts on trainers. Like I, I think being outside in the real world is absolutely the thing to do. That's why we love riding bikes. But I, again, we have folks that just, they have the busy lives. If you listening have busy life and you're on the trainer, especially going into winter and you're going to be on the trainer four or five days a week, there's guys that I coach in the Midwest right now that they're getting ready to be like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to go outside for two months straight. If that's your jam, use your trainer and simulate this stuff. You can go up the Alp to Zwift. You can do any of these things, right? You can use Ruby. You don't have to be a slave to Zwift. You can use Ruby. You can do a lot of these other things that can help you achieve that. Like old school was, I, I met a woman when I was very early in my bike riding career who literally trained for an Ironman 100% inside. She had just had a child. She did all of her running on a trip. She did all of her swimming at the local pool. And it was an open water swim that she did. Yeah. And she did all of her riding on her trainer. She literally did not go outside, did a full distance Ironman all off of it. And this was 10, was probably 15 years ago. 
no, it's got to be longer than that. It's probably almost 20 years ago now. Gosh, I'm old. But that was back then. We didn't have smart trainers. She was just staring at the wall for five-hour trainer rides. Like, folks, it can be done. If you are determined and you have fire in your belly and you are really committed to being prepared for this event, there's a lot of tools you have to get through it. And, and believe me, you are mentally stronger than you think. You are physically stronger than you think. You are capable of so much. And that's something I love as a coach is helping tease that out of people because you put them in the environment and they have to rise to the occasion, right? So I'm not saying don't set yourself up for success and, or show up unprepared. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let's set goals that really challenge you and stretch you so that you can achieve these great things. Because once you're there, you got nothing. It's sink or swim. And if you're like me, and I know you listeners are like me because I'm an athlete and a coach, you're like, I didn't come this far to sink. Like, I got no other option than to swim. And you can do it. So to some degree, we work really well in that environment, too, where it's a hey, sink or swim. I have no option because I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to quit. Yeah. But I'm going to keep moving. Yeah, you know? I think it's so critical in these ultra endurance kind of style gravel events that you have that grit and determination that you mentioned earlier, because the truth is for anybody who hasn't done a big event or a massive long ride, something will go wrong, period. It's highly unlikely. And if you track the first men and women or the last, everybody's on a journey. And it's the people who understand that flat tires are going to happen, mechanical is going to happen. Hell, you, you can have big hiccups in your hydration and nutrition plan as well, but it's your ability to push through those, adapt, recover, make adjustments that's going to be a telltale sign of success. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So something that I think is really a metaphor here. So if you think of like special forces, right, there's obviously been a lot in the news uh, over the last number of years about the Navy SEALs and other Rangers, Delta Force, these kind of things. They train them to be extremely self-sufficient. And I think that is something that's so powerful for us as athletes to think we are much more like them than we are, say, like, a very, like a Marine infantry unit or something like that. And so yeah, thanks for everyone who's listening, who served. You guys are wonderful guys and gals, of course. But when I look at who we are as athletes, we have to be generalists. It's not like you're on the NFL defensive line and you don't care about catching a pass because all you're trying to do is stop the refrigerator in front of you from coming through you, right? That's what you do if you're on the offensive line. It's a very specific task and it requires a very specific training for that, if you're going to go do SBT, if you're going to go do BWR, you have to be able to do it all. You, there's no timeout if, on the climb, right? There's no timeout on the downhill. You have to be able to ride that bike and the technical stuff. If you get a flat tire, you have to change it, especially if you're going to do something self-supported, say unbound, right? There's no support. So if you don't know how to use that Dynaplug that you have, uh, problem, you have to be able to do all these things. So uh, again, one thing that I would say is so important for your listeners and for everyone listening to just get a grip on is everyone has good moments and everyone has bad moments. And here's the thing, neither of them will last. So when you're a ride in the high and you're like, man, I feel really good. Don't, it's not going to last. You're going to go through a bad moment. But then also correspondingly, you would be like, oh, hey, I feel really awful. And my quad is cramping or my feet are numb, or whatever, that will end too. It might end at the finish line, by the way. It might, it might be bad all the way to the finish line, but it will end, I promise you. And so that just should bring you some sort of just comfort and recognize that like you're in control of this. And one thing that I would say 
for our listeners and everyone who's just, okay, some of, how do you eat an elephant? We look at SBT or you look at all these massive events. How do you accomplish that? It's so massive, right? And you just say one bite at a time. That's how you eat an elephant. And, and so one thing I would say is let's keep it simple and recognize some of this just boils down to the first rule of endurance events, whether you're a runner, whether you're a cyclist, whether you're a mountain biker, gravel person, whatever, it doesn't matter. You don't have to move fast, but you do have to keep moving. Yep. So sometimes slowing down is better because what we're trying to do is get through the end of the race. So if you're in a bad moment, the, the default should not be, hey, I just plow through and just hope it ends because you could make it worse. You really could make it worse. But you certainly should like just keep moving if you, you just have to keep moving. That's so important for yeah. our athletes is just recognizing that movement even slow is still forward progress. Yeah. Baby steps still make a difference. Absolutely. So we talked about prepping and understanding the course that you're going into, obviously making sure that your gear is performing well, you're not coming on old tires or something that's going to unnecessarily cause you trouble. You've got to have your repair kit built out. If you get a flat where your Dyna plug is, you can pop it in there. Hopefully you can, can recover quickly. And to the last point of our conversation, just be mentally aware that these things are going to happen. So don't stress like it's going to happen to 20% of the people in the event. So just move through it, keep a positive attitude and always keep moving forward. When you're looking, I did want to touch on planning from a nutrition and hydration perspective, just at a general level. When you look at a course, maybe like Crusher and the Tusher or something that has a very pronounced climbing feature, that's going to you know, be a huge chunk of time. How are you thinking about nutrition and hydration and making sure you're staying on top of that? I love to look at the course profile and this is just some of my stuff that I share with our athletes is I don't like people to stop at the bottom of the climb. Okay. Old school, back before there were gravel events, we had all these centuries and grand fondos before they were even grand fondos, they were hundred mile rides or whatever. And notorious, like it would always be that there would be a, at the bottom of the climb would be like, Hey, we have chocolate covered bacon. And everyone would be like pulling over. And then they'd be trying to start the climb basically fully loaded and with a gut bomb. Okay. Yeah. I think obviously when we're talking about say Crusher and the Tusher, you're going to have to stop at some point. If at all possible, try to make your stops, plan your stops so that you're stopping at the top of climbs. Okay. I think that's the best thing to do. Stopping at the bottom climb of climbs kills your momentum. Okay, I like to, to build a plan based on building and maintaining momentum, okay, because gravel riding as a whole and, and even bicycle riding as a whole is essentially boils down to building momentum, maintaining momentum, and then when you lose it, repeat, okay? So there's features all along the way, whether they're hills, whether they're rocks, whether it's single track, that, that loses your momentum. And so part of that mental fortitude is being like, oh, okay, I got into the single track and I went really slow because I don't really feel that comfortable in the drops on my bike. So I just went really slow. I come out of it. Now I've got a road section. I'm going to build momentum again, go through. So again, if we're going to talk about climbs as much as you can, try and start at the top. If we're going to start, excuse me, uh, stop at the top or just don't stop at the bottom. It's probably the best thing to take from our conversation. And the other thing that I would say is, Based on the amount of climbing, you might have to readjust or rethink what your nutrition strategy is. Why do I say that? Okay. So back in 2017, I did uh, the tour of Utah for the first time. And 
one, I got in the breakaway on stage one and I was in the breakaway for about four and a half hours. But so we're going super hard for four and a half hours. And it started with a 90 minute climb straight up, straight out of the gate. Okay. And the breakaway went yeah. about 45 minutes into it. So I saw 45 minutes of climbing at threshold. You can't eat solid food then. Okay. So I'm not telling you that as a coach and saying, Hey, I read this data where you can't eat solid foods. I'm telling you that. Cause like I've had my heart and my throat for an hour and a half. And then you're like, okay, like the only thing I can do is have liquid options. Okay. And there's lots of great companies that are coming out with liquid options or semi-solids, right? Whether yeah. that's a gel or something like that. So I don't have an ax to grind and with any particular nutrition company, because there's lots of great ones out there. But what I would say is if you're going to be on a long climb, if you're going to be on sustained climbing, please consider getting your nutrition from liquid sources. Cause that allows you to work harder on the climb. If you then have some solid food, say at the bottom, even if it's solid food you packed and you're like, hey, Brian, I kept moving. But then you ate 250, 300 calories in solid food because you brought an Uncrustable or you ate an energy bar of some kind. That is going to take away from your ability to ascend the mountain at a rapid pace. Okay, And I'm not saying you got to go bananas on the climb. But you don't want to do anything that, pro, that that makes it worse. So as much as you can, if you look at the climbs and they're sustained climbs, you're probably going to want to opt for that period only of your bike ride. You're going to have to think, I want more liquid sources of energy. Yeah. Okay. So then we come to, oh, there's a downhill. That might be the time when you supplement with solids. So it's not as easy as the old school, Craig, when you got into it, it's, hey, every hour drink a water bottle. Hey, every hour eat 250 calories. So it's, people would set timers on their Garmin's or their Wahoo's. In an hour, I just cram back a cliff bar. That's not how we do it anymore. We're very specific with our nutrition and not just the kind of nutrition, but it's the style of nutrition. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, I have liquid sources for this you know, portion of the race I have, and those could be gels or those could be semi-solids like a product that I really is infinite tripwire. We used to be sponsored by them years ago on the road race team. And now I just buy it retail. I guess buy it from my local shop because it works good. But anyway, try some stuff like that allows you to maintain a high output without upsetting your stomach. Yeah. I think when you look at those course profiles not only is it climbing and descending, but oftentimes it's technical terrain where you can't pull your hand off the bar. So having an understanding of when you're unlikely to be able to hydrate or unlikely to be able to eat and making sure you're not dropping behind the eight ball during those periods, I think is one of those things that you need to learn as a gravel athlete. And in some cases it may, you might have to do the unthinkable and wear a hydration pack on your back. I know aesthetically, some people don't like that but it's very practical in certain situations. And I will tell you that if you're in rough terrain and you've got that tube available to you, you do have the opportunity to be hydrated versus if you're trying to grab a bottle. Spot on, buddy, spot on. I'm gonna tell you a real, an anecdotal story here. Uh, there's a gentleman that I've coached for about four years and he does Leadville every year, okay? So same genre of what we're doing, right? Uber kind of event. And even though Leadville is not known as the most technical course, it's still very challenging, very bumpy. So it makes it very difficult to get into your pockets. This year, I, he and I went back and forth because, again, aesthetically, you're like, I don't want to pack. And, and I am much more, I don't care. I just want practice. I'll put, a, yeah. I'll put a bento box on the front of my bike. I'll wear cargo shorts. I, I don't really care. You know what I mean? I'll put the bag on the front. What matters is ease of use. Okay. Cause again, I look at the bicycle and I hope your athletes or your listeners will look at that, start to look at their bicycle, like a tool that's meant to serve us. I don't adapt my body to a bicycle. The bicycle adapts to me. Okay. I make all of this to help me the pilot. I am the pilot. You listening, 
You are the pilot. You're the race car driver. You're the fighter plane. You know, I mean, you're the fighter pilot. Okay. The, that should be an extension of you. It's not that you just ride this thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when we talk about that stuff, I generally don't like to put weight on my back. Okay. But in this case, we talked about it with my athlete and he was like, dude, it just makes sense. I just have to do it. I just have to move beyond it. And it made an incredible difference on what he's doing because gravel like mountain, it's very difficult to reach into your pockets again. So you got to think essentially on the timeline of gravel, many people were already on drop bar. They were roadies that didn't want to get mountain bikes. And so now we started venturing, we're roadie centric. And now we start getting more and more capable road bikes to now basically they're like drop bar mountain bikes. And so you have this roadie aspect of the culture that's, Hey, I want nothing in my pockets. I want my bike to look super sleek. Yeah. All that's cool. But the reality is when you're doing a hundred mile ride or you're doing a 140 mile ride or even a 60 mile ride, you may not be able to take your hands off of the bars. Okay. So minimizing movements is really important. So one thing we talked about with my athlete was like, Hey, how much can you drink during this eight hour? And it was like, well, if I have to take my, if I have to use bottles, it's very difficult and you start self rationing those things. So you're immediately dehydrating already. You're behind the eight ball. Yeah. So once we put the hydration pack on, yes, there was a penalty for weight. You know what I mean? Was it frustrating? Yeah. Did it hold a little bit of heat on him? Yeah. But he's doing legal. Like it's not that big of a deal, but the trade-off was here. He is, I want to say he's like 50, 51 or 52. Like he's very early fifties. Okay. And his best, he did Leadville for the first time, I think 10 years ago. Okay, so totally different athlete. Well, if you're 40 and you're doing Leadville and you're 50 doing Leadville, and this man came from Ironman, so he was very fit when he was 40. We obliterated his time, his very best time from 10 years earlier when he's 50 with a pack. And so when your listeners are like, man, I'm not going to wear a pack. It's just going to slow me down. I want to share with you 10 years older, this man went 45 plus minutes faster Amazing. 45 minutes. And again, it was because we nailed the hydration. We nailed the nutrition. We nailed the preparation. We nailed the pace. It was all of those things. And I couldn't be more proud of him. And I couldn't be more proud to be a part of his journey. But he did that. That was the best part. Like we teed it up, dude. And he went and executed and it was rock solid. So when your athletes or your listeners are, are doing this, please, like when you do the preparation and it all comes together, it's just like the recipe, like making your mom's favorite meatloaf or apple pie or whatever. Hey, Thanksgiving's around the corner. You just like pumpkin pie or turkey. Who's got the best stuffing? It's a recipe and everything has to come in together and you got to find your recipe. And it's super cool when you can add someone that helps you add to your recipe, whether that's a coach or a friend or a mentor, whatever. Um, obviously I'm biased towards coaching, but there's lots of great ways to get knowledge transfer. It can be from YouTube, but something that helps you have that successful event and just helps you look at things differently because the critical elements of a bike ride are not always just, oh, there's a climb. Yeah. Maybe the critical element is actually when you eat. Yeah, Maybe it's... the critical element is like, hey, I'm going to let this whole group ride away from me for one hour because I'm going to set a heart rate ceiling at 145. And then I'm going to unroll the carpet, so to speak, and just get faster to negatively split this. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but... There's so much of that, right? It's funny. I love that you mentioned that sort of aesthetic road bias that maybe permeated a lot of the gravel scene in the early days. And it's so true. I think a lot of the earliest athletes were coming over and they had a specific visual of what a drop bar bike would look like. 
And now with the influence of these long events and mountain bike technology, I think it's proven that being more open to things like hydration packs or bento boxes, you don't have to be there all the time. They're not necessarily there on every ride, but making sure that bike serves you in these ultra endurance events is critical. Oh, absolutely. Again, it's a tool and it's meant to be adapted to you. Yeah. Okay. And that's just so important. And again, I think of that in all things, like whether it's a bike fit, whether it's shoes, whether it's anything like people just go, Oh, I just got the, the gloves from the local bike shop. And I'm like, why did you do that? Let's get the ones that fit you. You're like, Oh, they're baggy. And they have, them. And you're like, no, like this should be like, we start thinking about one thing I wanted to make sure I bring up is race day is your day to have your best. Like you talked about it. I think you nail it so good, Craig, when you talk about game day, if we think about the culture of football, or we think about the culture of hockey, or we think about the culture of any of these other things, even running like cross country running, right? They wear their best shoes on race day. They, they have their best stuff. Like everything is prime for race day. And so I want your listeners, our athletes, I want them to be like race day. I want a little pep in your step. I want a little extra recovery in you. I want, oh man, I get my favorite water bottles. I know that sounds silly, but you can get water bottles that like, they don't put out the flow that you want. Make it easy on yourself. All of these tools, you have access to incredible tools to help you be successful. Don't be like, yeah, I wear my old socks that have a hole in them. Like, wear your best socks. And guess what? If you wear them out, go buy another one. I don't care. Like, but wear your best chamois. You know what I mean? This is not the day to be like, oh yeah, I, I got that old tube of chamois butter. I'm not going to, I'm going to use it. Dude, crack open the new tube of chamois butter and go, go for it. Make sure you have all the tools that are there to support you and that they're the best tools. It is game day. Treat it like such and get after it. Yeah. I've always felt doing those little things and making sure you feel great, look great, bikes ready to go. That it gives you like, for me, it seems like it gives me like 20% more capacity to suffer that day if I've really put my game face on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it should be the culmination of all of your preparation. It should be the culmination of the hard work you've done. This is where I think of it like how much time, money, and effort people invest in going to a big event. I'll give an example. Just last week, I went to... uh, mountain bike marathon national championships and it was in maryland and i've never raced in maryland before and i'm really actually fairly new to mountain biking to be candid i have one season of it but what happened was we flew out there early we pre-rode three or four days on the course and it made such a big difference and then when i got into the race i had some adversity the guy dropped me the leader dropped me and it was in that moment that i was like hey i've invested so much i don't even care i'm all in if i blow up, who cares? And I went for it. And guess what? It worked out and I won. And it was great because I had invested all of this stuff. I had everything going in that direction. And then I was like uber committed in the right moment. When you have that critical moment, you have to dig deep and find something special. And so when you've invested in that, and I hope your athletes and your listeners, when they're listening, don't be afraid to pay that full price, to pay the full measure of what you do and be like, yeah, I've invested all this. I've done all this. I've done this. I've done that. And it gets a little bit hard. Lean into it, man. When you get in the pain cave, 
pull up a folding chair and Hank, get after it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who cares? Like you've come this far. You've made all of these sacrifices. You've dragged your family from California or New Mexico or Washington, DC, all the way out to Kansas, to Emporia, Kansas. Dude, get after it. Don't just be like, okay, I'm going to sit back and absorb it and whatever. Lean in. Yeah, You so can true. do it. You know what I mean? It's so true. One of my old coaches used to talk about putting things in the bank. And whenever I would complain about a tough workout or whatever, he would just remind me, Hey, that's in the bank. And when it comes to game day, when you suffer in which you will suffer, think about this workout. Think about how deep you dug and know you're capable of going there and even more on, on race day. Absolutely. I always think of it like this. You, you, when I look out at the pier, like if you're out on the beach and you look out, oh, there's this beautiful pier. It's the boardwalk at, at Santa Cruz or whatever. That was a big thing when I was growing up in Northern California. It was like, oh, Santa Cruz beach boardwalk. That was so cool. Yeah. But you look at the pillars that hold that up and they have to withstand the abuse of the sea. They stand rigid and they stand firm and they're just the waves beat on them, and beat on them and beat on them. And guess what? They have to be replaced. Like that thing has to be replaced every number of years, I'm sure. I don't know what the number is, but they have to get replaced because the sea is so powerful. The forces of nature are just incredible. If you're the sea kelp, what if you're the sea kelp? What does the sea kelp do? The sea kelp waves with the influx and with they out it goes yeah. with it and that's a very like if your listeners are into books if you look at very eastern philosophy chinese philosophy like you can look at the tao Te ching or you can look at the sun tzu the art of war you can look at any of those things and it's very much that kind of thing and i think for athletes in gravel you have to be able to do the same thing like suffering is going to wash over you and you can either fight it and be like no and you can be rigid and death grip and all the stuff or you can be like the sea kelp and you can just be like, okay, I'm in my pain cave for a little bit. This stinks and I don't really want to be here, but I'm going to be here for 90 minutes on this crazy climb up crusher in the tusher, but I want to finish. So got to do it. So yeah. I, I think w going between both, cause there's a time to be rigid and be like, yes, I'm getting after it. And there's a time to be like, I'm going to embrace the suck. Like it just is what it is. We just got to chop some wood here and just get after it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this was uh, full of great information. One of the things I wanted to conclude with was you had made mention to me in our discussion back and forth, just about celebrating properly. And I think your mentality as a coach, I just wanted you to speak to that a little bit. Celebrating is so important. I'm working on something for our athletes right now where we're going to do a, basically a coach led performance review and a and so it's performance review is going to be like hey how did the year go what went well what didn't go well and one of the things if you look at we're going to bridge into goal setting for 22 and one thing if you look at kind of goal setting 101 and all the books on that is you have to celebrate and we live in this world that we're always like next and you never come back to it and go hey i didn't celebrate and so one thing you need to do is think about you need to treat yourself like a valued employee not like you're a tyrant, right? So you treat yourself like, hey, I did really good, Craig. You have wonder, you're a wonderful, successful businessman, right? And so like when you have valued employees that go above and beyond, you don't just be like, cool, here's your next project. You go, great job. That's fantastic. You know what? It's Friday. Go home at noon. We'll see you on Monday and we'll, we'll plan from here. That's how you treat valued employees, right? You're like, hey, that was really great. That's how you treat your kids, Right. Yeah. You're like, great job. I'm so proud of you. We're going to pizza tonight. Right. Yeah. Like good effort. And we don't do that to ourselves. 
We don't do that to ourselves. We hold ourselves hostage sometimes and we're like, yeah, I could have done better. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I got eighth at Belgian Waffle Ride, Cedar City and got the hard man award. But you know what? I wasn't in the top three, so I'm not happy. Okay, loser. That's not a cool way to talk to yourself. And that happened to me. And my wife like slaps me and she's, what are you doing? Try to have more fun. And I'm trying to talk, talk, tell your listeners and our athletes, like, I'm telling you that because I have not celebrated a lot of things. And I always moved on to the next thing because there was always something bigger and better. What I'm trying to tell you is that I want you to stay in the sport a long time and you're, I want you to seek mastery. And to do that, we have to do the full range of emotions, right? Like you have to have those stressful moments. You have to overcome those stressful moments. And then you have to celebrate all the things you did along your journey, okay? And I'm not saying you give yourself a pat on the back for like finishing a 45-minute trainer workout. You know what I mean? But I am saying... When you sign up in October or November for, you know, Belgian Waffle Ride Kansas, that's 10 months away, you've got to celebrate when you get to the end. And whether your celebration is having a beer with your buddies or giving your, eating half of a, of a carrot cake, it doesn't matter. I, I, that's not what it is. It's what it is for each athlete. But yeah. I think celebrating is so important. And what I would also say to tell your athletes when we talk about celebrating Make this a family affair. Most of us are have kids. Most of us have spouses. Most of us have busy lives, and there's more people. So don't make this about what you accomplished. Make it about what we accomplished. As a coach, I'm a part of your performance team. Okay, so I want I didn't pedal the bike for you, but I'm really excited to play the role that I get to play. And I know Joy is too, my wife. She's really, oh my gosh, like you just won a national championship. That's amazing. But so make it a part of we, we did this together. When I, I tell you the, when you're setting goals, tell your friends, right? Tell your buddy Craig, hey, because of this podcast, I decided to sign up for this. And then not only did you sign, sign up for it, you come back and you're like, I never thought I would do a sub nine Leadville. Oh my God, I got a big belt buckle or whatever your thing is. Like, I never thought I would do a sub nine hour Belgian waffle ride, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's celebrate that and tell people about it because that accountability is what makes us great. And I'm telling you, you are capable of more than you think. So hold yourself accountable, put it out in the world, go after it, work hard. And if you fall a little short, that doesn't mean you don't celebrate, still celebrate what you did accomplish and then move on and readjust, recalibrate, re-engage, set your sights higher and go for it. Yeah, I think those are great words to end by, Brian. Thank you for such an enthusiastic conversation. I hope for the listener, everybody's stoked and keep this conversation in your ear, particularly those words about being able to do more than you think you can because you you all are capable of more than you think you are. Brian, thanks so much again for the time. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. Thank you for the opportunity. And if anyone ever wants to check us out on Big Real Coaching, please do. It's just my wife and I, we have a, a lovely coach, Chi. If there's ever anything we can do to help you, We would love to, but also please just get out there, get after it, have a great time and let, you know, come see us at the races. We're always at the races. We love seeing you. We want to hear about your celebrations and Craig, I want to hear about some of yours. So I'm going to put it on you. I want to hear about what your goals are. And then uh, I want to hear about the process, your preparation, how the race day stuff goes. And then uh, we can have another one of these conversations soon. You got it, Brian. Thanks. Rock and roll, brother. So that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Big thank you to Brian for joining us. I hope you got a lot out of our discussion. And another big thanks to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this episode. If you're interested in joining our free global gravel cycling community, please visit theridership.com. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast directly, 
please support me at buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. And finally, if you have a moment, rating and re- ratings and reviews are hugely important in the podcast business. I appreciate all your words and I read everything that comes through in terms of the reviews. And I have to say, and finally, if you have a moment, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. They're very important in the podcast business and I read everything you write. So I appreciate the effort and those kind reviews. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Thank you.